Well, uh, let, let's look at Isaiah 55. We got any room for anything spiritual? <laughs> Isaiah, the prophet, he, you know, Isaiah, uh, he preached the gospel just like, just like the, all the prophets did. But here we have a chapter that talks about the call of the gospel to the thirsty. Isaiah preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit preaching the gospel because he's the author of it. He's uh, inspired the prophets to, to prophesy. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 55, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come and Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's, an, that's a call, in it? An invitation. Preaching the gospel is a, a call. But it's, it's directed to those who have a need. It's thirsty and hungry. Everybody has a need for water. Water is the most needful thing we have. You know, you can't go very long without water. You can go for a good while without food, but... If you, when you really get thirsty, that's all you can think about is water. I've, I've, I thought I had been thirsty before, but I got thirsty one time in Yucatan out in the jungle, out in the wilderness, and I, I really realized what it was to be thirsty. You don't think about a thing, but just you want that water. And um, he's calling for the thirsty here. But he's preaching the gospel because you'll see later on he's talking about the the sure mercies, sure mercies of David. He's talking about the everlasting covenant, but he's likening uh, the, these things to needing uh, water and material things. Our bodies need water. Our not bodies need food and material sustenance. So he's calling uh, everyone that thirsts, come you to the waters. You remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when he said, said, I'm, I'm the water of life. I'm the, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink on the day of, of the tabernacles, I think it was. That was our favorite feast that the Jews had when they all came together. After it was all over, the Lord stood up and said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. They were full, just like I'm full right now. They were full. They'd eaten turkey all week long. I don't know if they ate turkey, but y'all allow me to use expressions like turkey. They, they were full, and they were going home. And they had, they had observed every religious rite they could in the book. It was a big high day for all the religious leaders, and the people had a lot of fellowship. And it was the last day of the feast, and they were filling up their wine skins or, or those skins they fill up, I got whatever they toted water in. They were filling them up at the wells of Siloam, the wells of peace, and heading back to their pueblos or the towns where they live. And that's when the Lord stood on the last day and said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he's talking about spiritual, the spiritual water. He's talking about the, the spirit of God and the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm the He's, he's the water. But here Isaiah is talking about, Ho ye, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come by and eat. How are you going to do that? Buy 
and eat without price and without money. Without money and without price. How do you buy something without money and without price? I used to do that all the time when I was a kid. My daddy had a, a running account at the store. He got paid about every two weeks. And uh, at this old store about a mile from where we lived, and he, he told a man, he said, uh, my kids had come in here needing pencils and paper and anything. He said, you, you put it on my account. And so I went by there. My sister abused it, though. She, but I, I would get a pencil and paper. I was afraid to. I was afraid to. I wanted to, but she abused it. She'd get away with more stuff than I could. But I'd go by and I'd get me a pencil and paper. I'd say, put it on the account. Without money, I bought it without price. But you know, salvation, we don't, it's not anything we can pay, but it's, there's something that's been paid for, and it's, salvation is not free. It costs something. It costs God, the Father, His Son. It costs the Lord Jesus Christ, His life and His blood. It costs something. It's not cheap. It's the greatest gift, the greatest sacrifice that we can imagine God giving His Son. I wouldn't give my son for myself, much less anybody else. But that's what... Salvation is not not free. It costs God something. But it's free to sinners who are thirsty and hungry and have a need for salvation. And it's likening spiritual things to physical things. Everybody needs food. Every living thing needs water and food and sustenance. So the gospel is directed to everybody. And we preach the gospel to every creature, don't we, Jay? We don't know who God's elect are. And he calls them out through his, his word. And everyone that thirsts, because we, there's some, some are going to have a thirst, and that thirst comes by the work of the Spirit of God in their hearts, preparing them. And he goes on to say, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied not the things of this world are never going to satisfy the soul of a man because men women were created by God and they're only going to be satisfied in God and by God there's nothing can say I won't be satisfied with anything outside of something that's lasting and eternal. And I found satisfaction in Christ. I can truly say that I'm satisfied with Christ. And you can too. Every believer here can say, I'm satisfied with Jesus Christ. We're talking about satisfaction. And that's what the woman of Samaria, she had never known anything, any kind of satisfaction. When the Lord is talking about satisfaction, she wanted to know more about that. But the satisfaction is not in anything of this world <clears throat> and that's what men spend everything for satisfaction and he says in verse 3 incline incline your ear and come unto me and your soul shall live I'm hard of hearing so I have to incline my ear if I lean over close to you I'm not trying to kiss you I just hard of hearing I have and uh, somebody called today and want to talk to Lisa and a lot of things going on there. And I, 
I said, uh, the city dump, I, I don't know how I got the city dump uh, out of that. I said, you want to talk to Lisa about the city dump? And I, I said, would you please call back? I, I just can't hear a thing. And I said, this machine is going crazy here. It's hollering back at me. And so I had to hang up. I imagine her friends would think she has a crazy daddy. But I, I couldn't hear anything. Well, I didn't mean to get off in that. I don't have to be so silly. But uh, hearing, hearing is a blessing, and, and we're, we're, we're to incline a ear to hear. I can think of so many people I've preached to, and I've seen, I can see the ones inclining the ear and listening. They were interested, had an interest. Interest, and they inclined the ear to hear. That's the way faith comes by hearing, doesn't it? It doesn't come by sight. We can see all kind of miracles and things, but it comes by hearing the Word of God. And that God gave us two ears, and he gave us one mouth. We're supposed to hear twice as much as we say. That's probably what that means. But uh, he's talking about hearing here. Incline, incline your ear and hear. <clears throat> and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Talking about a covenant that's everlasting, never end. And really, he's talking about the eternal covenant of grace because the eternal covenant of grace is everlasting, it's new, it's ever new, it's everlasting, and it's eternal. Anything that's eternal will never be old. That's why the New Testament is called the New Testament because it's eternal. It'll never be old. It's eternal. But he's talking here in this text about an everlasting covenant with you. God making an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. Do you have any interest in that? This is covenant mercies that, that are sure. I got, I bet and I, I might have told you this, but I got down in Mexico, we got a bundle of papers. It was, she was an heir. One of her rich uncles died and left her side of the family half of his state and left the other half of the family the other side, the other half. And we read that paper for about two hours. And I'm talking about, you're talking about boring. That boring, real boring. The party of the first part would look to the party of the second part and the third part and all stuff like that. It's, it's always just boring. But, but we read that stuff for three, uh, two or three hours. We got an interest in it. I thought I was going to get some money out of it. And I didn't put it down until I got through every bit of it. Went over it again, read it again. After I read it the first time, I thought, well, we're either going to get $3,500 or we're going to get $350 or we're going to get $35. I don't know which. So I had to read it again. So Betty turned out she got only $350 had so many people on her side of the family divided up so many times it didn't leave anything. But I'm, what the point is this. The, the point is this. Do we have interest? I thought I had an interest there in this. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about sure mercies and the covenant of grace. And David, that was the hope of David, the, the man that wrote Psalms, the king of Israel. 
the Old Testament. It's my hope. And they're sure mercies. And we want to talk some more about that and, and, and using some other scriptures over here in 2 Samuel chapter 23. David's coming along here in his to the last days in his last words. And he says, now these be the last words of David. I don't know if it's the very, very last words, but this is the last word concerning his hope and his salvation. You've heard somebody say, well, this is my first and my last word that I'm going to give you. This was his. This is like Paul saying, I know in whom I've believed. And I'm, I'm uh, persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That was his. You can say that was his first word. That's his last word. It didn't change. His faith didn't change. And then David's coming along down to the end of his life. I preached this somewhere, and somebody said, well, that, that's one of David's last word. Well, just for if there's anybody here who thinks that this is not David's last word, he might have said, bring me a drink of water later after saying this. But he, he was in the end of his life, and he was, these are the important words. And I think of Charlie Payne when he died. He, he said, I'm going to, come out of this operation either half well or fully well. And you know what happened? He died and he, he's fully well now. That's what Charlie meant. So David is his last words here. David, the son of Jesse, sinner just like you and I. <clears throat> he said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God, the God of Jacob, The sweet psalmist of Israel. He was a great man. David, king of Israel. But he was raised up from a young lad as a shepherd boy. The Lord anointed him and chose him and prepared him to be the king of Israel. He, You know, remember Saul was the, the king that the people chose. But God prepared David and prepared his heart. And, and he was anointed of the Lord. And the Lord raised him up and set him on high. And David is a type of Christ. David is a type of Christ. All the types of the Bible are just rudimentary things, but David was a, a type of Christ. And God gave him many promises concerning uh, promises that were in Christ concerning his son that would come of his uh, be born of his lineage. It says the anointed of, of, of God. In the Old Testament, men spoke by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and David was one of those prophets. He was a prophet, and he was a king. He had two offices, but he wasn't a priest. You know who the only one that has all three offices in one? That is our, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is prophet, priest, and king. That's what Messiah means. That's what Christ means, prophet, priest, and king. David was a prophet, and he was a king of Israel. He wrote the whole Psalms. He was a gifted man. Psalms of, Psalms of David. <clears throat> and he says in verse 2, 
the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. He spoke by me. This scripture we read here in the Old Testament was inspired of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ that was in them prophesied and spoke. And you know, they didn't even understand exactly everything they, they were, were prophesying of, but they searched the scriptures and he says that in Peter to see what, what manner of, of time and person this was because the Spirit of God is testifying of Christ, he that was to come. And that's what the Lord told the Pharisees, said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which bear uh, a testify of me, but you will not come to me that you might have life. David was in was inspired to write the scriptures. But do you think that that was the cause of his hope? Do you think that gave him any comfort in the day of his, when he was coming down to the end of the line? I want to point out later on that that wasn't his hope. He didn't trust in anything he had done. He didn't trust in being a, uh, writing the Psalms or, or being used of the Lord in a mighty way. This scripture talks about the Lord comes in his glory. The Son of Man, when he comes and sits upon the throne of his glory, and he gathers this all before him. And, and some are going to say, Lord, have, we, have not we done many mighty works in thy name? Have, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? And he's going to confess to them and say to them, I never knew you. You cursed it. Depart from you, depart, depart from me, you curse it. I never knew you. So David was used greatly, but this wasn't the basis of his hope and assurance. So we can't put any hope on anything that we do. We have to put our hope in what the Lord has done. And that's what David trusted in. He says, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The scripture says in 2 Peter 1.21, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So David was a prophet. And he says in verse 3, The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Who is this rock of Israel? The God of Israel is the rock of Israel. The God of Israel, the rock of Israel, spake to me. You remember when Peter confessed his faith in Christ, the Lord had asked the disciples, whom do men say that I am? And Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord said, Blessed are you, Simon, for, God, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he said, Thou art Peter. You're just a... Peter means rock. Thou art Peter. And upon this rock... He's not talking about the Petro or Little Rock like Peter, his name, but he's talking about upon the confession of faith that Peter 
made in Christ, saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock upon which I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's what it says in Ephesians 2, 20, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And he's the foundation, and the Israel of God is made up of all believers, whether they're Gentiles or Jews, they're, they're the Israel of God. That's what Peter, Paul said when he was, he was uh, speaking to the Gentiles in Ephesians, no, and not in Ephesians, Philippians 3, 3. He said, we're, we're, the, we're the circumcision that worship God in spirit. And we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we put no confidence in the flesh. But he's saying, we, referring to himself as a Jew, and including all the Gentiles that are believed, we're the circumcision of God. We're the Israel of God. Yet rejoice in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. But uh, he says here, the, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. David, when he was raised up on the throne, the first thing he wanted to do was to show mercy, the mercy of the Lord. And he reigned and ruled with with righteousness and executed judgment and judgment unto all the people. He, 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 that's what the scripture says. But he was a sinner and he failed in his, his judgment and he failed in, his, in many ways. But he was a type of Christ and he was a good king. Would to God we had someone like David reigning and ruling here in the United States. Oh, the presidency of the United States. But I uh, but David was a sinner, but he was, he was walking in the fear of the Lord. He was a type of Christ. But he's not talking about himself here. He's talking about someone, someone greater. He's talking about the son of David that would come years later. <clears throat> and he says in verse 4 concerning this person, it says he and he shall be as a light as the light of the morning when the sun riseth even a morning without clouds as the tender grass springeth out of the earth by a clean shining after rain he's talking about the coming of the light of the world he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born under the law and he's the light of the world He's talking about the coming of Christ here. And he said, he's, he's speaking by the Spirit of God. And he shall, he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises. He's talking about even a morning without clouds. No shadows and types here. All in the Old Testament were shadows and types. But in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we're complete in Him. <clears throat> That's what he says in Philippians. said, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that God has God shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
I don't know all that I will know. And I'm preaching in part, and I, I, I understand in part. But what, who I'm preaching about is the fullness of Godhead bodily. I don't understand that, but I, I, know, I know of whom I'm talking about. He has all the credentials here in the Word of God, and the more I read the Word of God, the clearer it is to me. The brighter the light, the light shines in my, my soul. And God has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As we know more of Christ, we see more of God's glory. But David says here, he wants to make it real clear to us, all of us, that this is not the basis. Uh, he's not trusting in himself. He said, although my house be not so with God, yet he had made with me an everlasting covenant. Now, he, he didn't have any hope in his own immediate household. His house was in, in trouble. Absalom, it wasn't long after that Absalom was killed. And how David mourned for Absalom. I read these words of David when his son, that brought him word of his son Absalom. Absalom must have been a spoiled brat. Good looking boy. David loved him. And he said, oh my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God had died for thee. Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son. That's the cry of David weeping over Absalom. He says, my house is my house is not so, although my house be not so with God. That wasn't the basis of his hope. He wasn't trusted in, in his ministry as a king of Israel. He, was, he tried to reign in, in righteousness, just like us. We want to do right. We want to do what's right, but we fail, and we don't trust in what we do, but we do want to try to do right. And we don't trust in what we've done or what we're going to do. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his eternal covenant. That's what David trusted in. And he says, My house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. It's a wonderful thing when we see our children walking in truth. That's what John said. Uh, that that was one of the greatest things. I have no greater joy that, than to hear of, that my children walk in truth. That's such a blessing. And there's nothing sharper than the, the, the ingrat, in, uh, ingratitude of a child. That's what the, how's the word? Sharper than a serpent's tooth is a thankless child. Madam. <clears throat> God made an everlasting covenant with David, and that was his hope. He had made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure, it wasn't ordered upon, established upon man's word, established upon God's word. And it wasn't, stand, it wasn't established upon man's ability to fulfill it, but, but the one who's strong and one who's able. He's the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was made flesh and was born under the law that he might fulfill this covenant. 
God's covenant is sure and it's eternal you've read of Hebrews and talks about the that God has raised up his the son the Lord Jesus Christ through the blood of the everlasting covenant eternal covenant that's what we're talking about that's what David is talking about all the covenants in time with Adam and later on in, in uh, Mount Sinai they were not eternal covenants but the everlasting and eternal covenant was a covenant that made in God himself in eternity and the Lord Jesus Christ is this, was the surety of this covenant and it's the covenant of grace and it's the covenant of the New Testament and that's why we incline our, incline our ear to hear and understand are we included in this covenant and we, are we thirsty do we have a need are we hungry and when the Lord talks about in Beatitudes and and uh, uh, the Beatitudes about the blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness he's talking about the characteristics of those that that are are children of the kingdom and this hunger and thirst and interest in the things of Christ is a is a manifestation of God's grace in us giving us this desire and that's David's desire here he said this is all my desire he said and this is my salvation and all my desire ordered in all things this covenant is ordered in all things it was confirmed confirmed by an oath now God don't have to swear everything we see around us in this world has been continued for all these years just because God said let it be and it was he didn't have to swear he said let there be light and it keeps on keeps on shining keeps on shining God had sworn he had to swear oaths saying that son I swear by myself that the sun's going to keep on shining but when it comes to covenant promises and in Christ, he swore by himself. It says in Hebrews, he swore by himself, uh, by himself because there's no no greater to swear by than God, and therefore he swore by himself, according to his own word and his own promises in Christ, that that we might have a a sure hope because of our own frailty and weakness. He swore by himself. Can you imagine what I'm trying? What I'm trying to say is it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? God would swear. It said, by, by so much, by the immutable counsel of God and by the confirmation of his oath, that's what it means here in Hebrews 7:22. by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And that's, that's the promises in Christ are yes and amen and they're immutable and the gifts in the column of, of God are in Christ are without repentance. I mean, he don't take it back. I've, I've found out what Indian giver is. And I in Mexico, we deal with most Indians, they're Mayan Indians. And I've had them come into the church and look like they really were believers and they they maybe give a few things a chair or two, but did they get upset and get, you know, that the trials come and reveal that they they didn't nearly know the Lord after all, and 
they want to leave and they well, if they give a couple of chairs, they want to take their chairs with them. You know, the engine givers. They gave it. <laughs> I find out what that word means. They they want to get take it all the engine givers. I guess that's where it came from. But God, not no engine giver, and the covenant of grace in Christ, all the blessings and the gift of the call of God in Christ Jesus are, are yes and amen, and and they're without repentance. He that means he don't take them back. He don't repent of it later. They're sure. They're steadfast. And he swore by himself. You know what that means? That means that God has exalted his word above his throne there. I can't think of the scripture there about the, the throne. I, I, Thou hast manifest thy word above all thy name. That's it in Psalms 138.2. God didn't have to do that. I want to give you an example. I'm trying to get something over. It's a blessing to me. I sold a Jeep down in Mexico that Betty had driven for 17 years. She came in from town one day and she was just in tears because she'd been on this crowded bus with all these people. This old dilapidated bus and somebody had pinched her uh, she didn't tell me exactly how I'm, I won't tell you exactly why, where but they pinched her and she was so mad and she was just in tears and she said I want a little Volkswagen and I said I'm not going to buy you a Volkswagen because I'm not going to work on a Volkswagen I'll get you a Jeep so I got her a Jeep and she drove 17 years with these Jeeps I'm telling this this way to break, break things up you know I'm not trying to be funny really but it Trying to, so you listen to me a little longer, you know. I don't, but uh, I got some more important things to say than this. What I'm saying, but uh, for 17 years she drove that Jeep, and 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 I sold that thing, and the guy came over with two of his sons, and he had the money in his hand, and I was telling him it's a good Jeep, but I was nervous because I'm not used to selling. And he was counting out the money to me. And I was saying, it's a good Jeep, real good. It's, I guarantee it. I said, I guarantee it for six months. And he's count, he stopped me. He said, you will? I said, yeah. I said, and he kept on counting out. Yeah, I appreciate that. And he went on. And I went into the house. I was so mad at myself. I said, Betty, I said, I told that man I guaranteed that Jeep for six months. I said, he's going to let... Those of us are going to take that Jeep out in the woods and going to tear it up and they're going to bring it back wanting me to fix it because I guaranteed it. I said, I bound up myself with my own word. And I would have done it because I believe I believe a man ought to be true to his word. And I'm a sinner, but imagine God swearing by himself for our benefit that we might have more confidence in God. Isn't that something? We all just believe God just without any kind of oath. Because he never fails in his word. But you read that in Hebrews about his promises. It says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, con counsel confirmed it by an oath. <clears throat> That's wonderful that God so concerned about our comfort in us because we're so frail and, and he would swear by himself. 
All the promises in God and Christ Jesus are not maybe, are not yes and no. <laughs> Have you ever had that kid ask you something or you ask your mother something yes and no, you know? Or, and not conditional upon what we do or conditional upon what he did, what Christ did. That's the condition that fulfills all the demands of this covenant. It's just sure. That's really just sure. If it depended on one thing and you and I, it would not be sure. But it's the sure mercies of David. It's the sure mercies of all the promises of God in Christ Jesus. And God's not going to take those mercies back. If you read in another place, it talks about David. He's going to chasten him with a rod of iron. I mean, a rod of, of uh, as a son. And that's what he talks about in Hebrews, that we're, we're, we're sons. We're going to receive the discipline of the Lord. And we just can't live the way we, just the way the flesh wants to. Because if, you can do, if we can do that and not be chastened, that's a good sign we're not sons of God. But uh, these sure mercies are, are sure because God's not going to take them back and he's not going to let us alone and he's going to discipline us as children. If he don't discipline us as children when we're walking in, in the wrong pathway, well, that's a good sign that, that we're, not, we're bastards, it says, and not sons. <clears throat> God's covenant is ordered in all things. It says in Galatians 4.4, 4, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of, made of woman, born under the law, that he might redeem them which were under the law. You know, when, when that angel told Mary, said, That holy thing that shall born, be born of thee shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. That was a fulfillment of that promise to David. David's household just went into oblivion. And years later, the angel comes and he says, says that you found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And she was of the lineage of David. Joseph was of the lineage of the household of David. And to also marry, and and um, so the scriptures have all been fulfilled concerning Christ. They're all sure in every jot and tittle. They've been fulfilled. That's that's his credentials. That's your mercies, isn't it? He says, This is all my desire, although he make it, it not to grow. What does that mean? I don't really know. I have an idea. I have an idea. David didn't see around him and in his own house, so the fulfillment of this hope. But hope that is not seen is not hope, is it? I mean, well, hope that is seen. If you're hoping for something you see, well, you're not, no longer hoping for it. And I tell you, we're a long ways from receiving the fullness of God's promises in Christ Jesus. We have been redeemed from the penalty of sin. 
We've been delivered from the bondage and the power of sin, but we're a long ways from being delivered from this miserable, wretched body that we live in. And that's what the brother was reading. And that, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? That's Paul. Somebody said, well, that was Paul before he got saved. No, that was the apostle Paul after he got saved. He didn't know that before he was saved. He didn't know he was that wretched man before he got saved. It's only when he got saved that he realized he was, he was a wretched man because he saw Christ. And it's like Isaiah said, Woe is me when he saw the Lord. Before that, Isaiah said, Woe to this nation, woe to this people. And he was right. But when he saw the Lord, he said, Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. So David said, he could look around and see his household said, my household doesn't come near to fulfilling what, what the Lord has promised in the covenant promises. And uh, we don't know what God has in store for us, but like down in Mexico, I see a lot, I'd like to see a lot bigger growth among the churches. I'm grateful to see a few come in, in there and it's just not mushrooming. And I don't want it to rush room. Because I know I've been in the mushroom situation before. You have too, haven't you, Brother Jackson? And I tell you what, you get a bunch of goats in here and then they butt you out. You just have, instead of a, be a pastor, you're, you're a goat herder. And you get all those goats in there and they, they, they don't like lamb's food. They, they'll end up and butt you out. That's what happened. That's what, Instead of having a, a, a church, you just have a zoo and just all kind of animals. Well, I'm, I'm, I guess, rambling around. I better quit and sit down. The Lord bless you. I, I, wish, I wish I could have preached that like I would like to have preached it. But the Lord bless you.